If you remember last week, <clears throat> the word was with power, verse 36, and with authority and power he commands even the unclean spirits to come out. And so what we are going to see here is a continuation of the authority and power of Jesus Christ. I think this is one of the most important things for us to understand that the most powerful person is in this room and he dwells in you by his spirit. There's no greater power than the Lord himself. And we're going to look at the authority of his word this morning, his authority to cleanse lepers and sinners, the power and authority to forgive and to heal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. His love, his grace, his care for his people has not changed. It will always remain. So let's pick it up in the first paragraph here, 1 through 11. So it was that the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. And he stood by the lake Gennesaret, Galilee, and two boats were standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and so their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And then they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. <laughs> and when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so it was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I think it's important to, once again, just recognize the power of God's word. And one of the things that we see in this paragraph is the desire of the people to hear the word of God. It says here that the crowd pressed in on Jesus. Now I think it's important to use our sanctified imaginations a little bit when we read the scriptures. They're just not little words on a page and sentences put together to make a nice little story. This was a real historical moment and this took place. So we should be able to in our minds think Oh, how must that have been? How would that have happened? And so I have the picture. Yours might be a little different, and that's fine. That's what imaginations are all about. You have yours, and I have mine. But think about this for a minute. He's probably, you know, on the shore there, just kind of walking around. And, you know, it's kind of, he lives there. He's staying in Capernaum. That's right on, you know, the lake there, just off the lake, kind of in the, the northeast corner of the lake. And there's a synagogue there. Peter's house is there. And no doubt he's just walking along the shore and the people just started gathering. So, you know, taking advantage of the moment, he knew what the people needed. They needed to hear the word of God. And so um, I'm sure he saw the crowd gathering and I got a feeling that he's being pushed towards the water. And rather than, you know, get wet, <laughs> he saw the opportunity of using the boat and allow the people to, all people to see him better and actually to hear him better. So it was a real uh, practical approach by, Jeter, uh, by Jesus in ministering to the needs there. It was just a natural response. Any of us in that situation would have probably you know, done something similar. But you know, when you think about crowds, they can be kind of scary. I mean, the, when you get a mass of humanity moving in one direction trying to make it into, uh, into and out of an exit. You know, we've seen the horror stories. People get hurt. People could be crushed. 
And uh, I think part of this move allowed that not to happen in this situation here. Um, of course, a lot of the injuries that may be caused by that mass movement of humanity are unintentional, but people don't realize it's just a, it's just a force of, uh, that's moving in a direction that can hurt people. And I, I believe that the people are coming because they recognize the authority that's been given to, to this man. He's not an ordinary prophet. There is something going on here uh, that is so far beyond. God had been silent for over 400 years. And now with John the Baptist coming on the scene and this authority that he brought, the message that he brought, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and God was moving. There's this is the beginning of a national revival within uh, the nation of Israel. And so there's good reason. And it, it, they were pressing about him to hear the word of God. There was a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. Would to God that that would return to the church of Jesus Christ right now, that there would be just a simple return to a love and respect and desire to hear the word of God. I don't know about you, but I don't plan on changing. I've been doing this for 40 years. I'm not going to change. I'm just going to bring the word line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It's all about as I said earlier, being a pietist, if you understand that we're to do good, the Bible says, to our families and that kind of thing. But the idea of piety, the doctrine of piety, if you could call it a doctrine, but it is a teaching, is essentially personal holiness, devotion and commitment to God, demonstrated by good works to others. And there's a lot that can be said about that. But that's what we're about. We're about discipleship. We're about making disciples and sending people out and reaching the lost. It's not about coming to church and checking the box. I did that for the week. I'm good with God. No, we believe in a personal relationship and personal dedication and commitment to God. You know why? Because God is committed to us. He's demonstrated his commitment to his people. And he just wants the same loyal love that he's extending to you and to me. And so they, I just love this scene because it's showing the, the, the people's uh, spiritual hunger. Uh, and I think that's uh, really the way it is. Uh, deep down, people are hungry for God, but they don't know what that is inside. They don't understand what that emptiness is, that void that they have. So they try to fill it. Many of us can attest to that. What do you fill your life with before you met Jesus? There's something empty. There's an emptiness there. And only God can fill that emptiness. And these people saw the real thing. They saw the, uh, how authentic Christ was. And they were drawn to that. They could see through the, the, the surfaciness of the leadership, the establishment, the Pharisees. They could see that, that though they were saying the right thing, there was something that was off. It wasn't quite right. Now when we think about Bible teaching today, remember Paul's approach and he, he preached this. He did, you know, to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians in his opening address to these churches. I didn't come to you in word, you know, of wisdom, but I came to you in power and demonstration of the spirit that your, your faith might not be in men, but in God. There was, we have some of the most eloquent preachers in the pulpits today, but it just reaches the mind. That's what good preaching does. It just hits the mind. But when there's an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon, like Jesus' ministry is a, a perfect example of this. It re reached the heart of the people. That's what the Word of God is, does. It reaches the inner man, not just the mind, but deep into the heart. And that's what God is after. And once you've tasted the Word of God and you begin to partake of that regularly, you don't ever want to leave it. That becomes the most important thing in your life, the Word of God. It is alive. It is powerful. And as the Scripture said, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's nothing else in this world that can open us up and reveal to us who we really are before God. And the wonderful thing about allowing that experience to happen to us is that the overwhelming love of God, that when you see yourself as God sees you and you're, there's shame, there's guilt, there's the, the uh, uh, awareness of our sinfulness, 
But the overwhelming power of God's love doesn't even, just washes it all away. I remember that experience when I first met Christ and asked him to forgive me. I mean, the guilt, the pain, the heart ache that I'd caused so many other people. You know, it just, it came crashing down. And then as I asked the Lord to forgive me, the first time in my life that I ever felt something, and I, it, it was the love of God, but it would not have said that at the time because I didn't understand what was really transpiring in my heart and my spirit. But I was overwhelmed by the presence of God, and it was His love. And this is what it's all about. It's the love of God. That love just breaks us down. And you just want to surrender more and more to him. You think about the other options that people have in this world. It's the wisdom of men. It's the humanistic thought of the day. That's all people have to draw upon. Our, our ability and our understanding is so limited. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 6, 63. You can pull up on the screen there is the spirit who gives life. The flesh, human nature, profits nothing. The words that I speak are spirit. They are life. And there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one could come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. It is the Spirit that takes the Word of God and brings life to you and to me. Just think about this people here. They were longing for a visitation of God. They were under extreme constraints by the Roman government. They hated the Romans. The Romans were stronger, more powerful, and more controlling. The taxation was beyond uh, what they wanted uh, to. They were being stripped of their wealth by the Romans. And so they had every reason to have animosity and bitterness towards Rome. And so they knew and understand the spiritual heritage. And they longed for revival. They longed to hear what Jesus was talking about in regards to the kingdom of God. And so he began to reveal things that had never been uttered before. Things that were hidden from the foundation of the world, Jesus began to utter and explain to the people the kingdom of God. And so why not go hear Jesus speak near the lake, right? But in this passage, you notice that the nature and character of God, don't, don't, don't just blow by some of these verses. He, he, in reality, asked Peter for the use of this boat. God is courteous. He asked for the use of the the, the colt and the foal. Hey, go ask this guy if he can use his stuff. God is not presumptuous. He doesn't assume just because he's the creator, he has right to everything. When he gives something to people, you and me, he just doesn't barge in and take it, oh, I need to use this for this purpose. He asks. He's very courteous and very thoughtful. But he asked Peter, and, and uh, of course he was able to... Uh, gladly give him the boat I'm sure the next thing we see here is Peter uh, and the conviction that comes upon him by the word of the Lord let's launch out into the deep you know um, I think we're about ready to do that as a church we're going to launch out into the deep if the Lord wills and um, but I also know that Jesus is aware of what happened he sees these guys washing their nets the boats they're done for the night they're not uh, they're probably sad. I, I mean, <clears throat> fellas, how do you like to work all week and not get a paycheck? That's what's going on here. No fish, no money, no bread to provide for my family. That's their income. We, we don't take that very well, do we? You know, don't mind working, but I don't want to do it for free, right? <laughs> so Jesus, I believe, is very aware of their disappointment. But I also understand that Jesus was about to address that disappointment. And that's one thing I, want, I think it's worth pointing out here. God is aware of your disappointments. There isn't anybody in this room, in this building, that doesn't suffer disappointment, pain, and sorrow. It happens to all of us. How we handle that and how we deal with it is another thing. But just, be, just know that God is aware of that. And he will address those uh, if we allow him to. 
In fact, I think God is moved by our disappointments. He knows how we feel, and he cares about that, and he reacts to those things. God is not without feeling. He's full of pathos. He, he loves us. We're his children. His parents pity their children and care for their children. The Lord much more does this thing for you and for me. And God wanted to help uh, Peter in their situation, no doubt. You think about how God uses disappointments in people's lives. One of the first things that come to mind is Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Now here's a lady that was barren. You talk about disappointment. You talk about heartache. And then to have the other wife piling on all the time, ridiculing and scorning. I mean, let's add insult to injury here. You know, if you're a guy, you just want to beat somebody up when they do that to you. Well, women, they don't do that. They just use words, right? Sometimes they're like knives. Ouch! So how did she handle it? She prayed. When she went to church, she asked God. And God had brought, God had, there was a, a need within the nation that was growing. A need to transition from the time of the judges to the time and reign of the kings. And God needed a man to transition that gap. And so he, after she prayed, God used that prayer to bring about the man that he would use, Samuel, to make that transition within the nation. And so it's amazing how God takes disappointments and he turns it around and uses it. He brought her to the point where she didn't really care if she kept the son, just that she would have a son. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. God would anoint Samuel for the very purpose that was needed and the things that needed to be accomplished within the nation. Now, Again, Peter and the men were bummed with their empty nets, and so they launch out into the deep. And I, again, you use your imagination here. What was Peter thinking when the Lord said to launch out into the deep? Now, you know, there's inner thoughts, <laughs> right? And then there's outer thoughts. Look, Jesus, you stick to preaching. I've been fishing for a while. We got skunked. I'm not in on this. Just, just saying, right? But in our disappointments, and when the Lord asks us maybe to do something that seems counterintuitive to us, I love how he answered. This should always be our response. Nevertheless, at your word. It's whatever you say, Lord. I think you might be off a little bit here. Peter might have been thinking that. You know, I don't have anything else to do the rest of the day. I'd rather go take a nap, but why not? Let's just go. All right. <laughs> However it rolled out, I will let down the net. And that is the important part of that sentence as well. I will. Can you and I surrender our wills to the Lord in our disappointments and allow him to take those disappointments and turn them into whatever he wants them to be? Whatever outcome he wants to have from that situation. But he's a gentleman and it takes an I will submit, I will surrender from you, from me. I don't want to butcher this, but um, there's a song that, a, a phrase that I heard in the church when I uh, first became a Christian is that God will never do anything against your will. Uh, but he can make you willing, Right? And so I, I kind of, this sort of came up in this, as I was thinking through the message here, and I, I, I said, well, where that came from, you know? So it actually comes from a song, an old hymn. Some of you might be old enough, and some of you might have the background, a church background that I don't have, but it's called the Hornet Song. I don't know, anybody, anybody familiar with that? No? Okay, it's all older than all of us, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but let me just read a couple stanzas to you. It's fun. It's just a fun song. And I have no idea what the, the, the tune would be, but nevertheless, here we go. When the Canaanites hardened their hearts against God and grieved him because of their sin, God sent along hornets to bring them to terms to help his own people win. Another stanza says, when God, 
when Jonah was sent to the work of the Lord, the outlook was not very bright. He had never done such a hard thing before, so he backed off and ran from the fight. And now the Lord sent a great fish to swallow him up. The story I'm not sure, I'm sure you all know, God did not compel him to go against his will. He just made him willing to go. And the chorus is, the chorus is, God does not compel us to go. Oh, no. He never compels us to go. God does not compel us to go against our will. He just makes us willing to go. So, so much for that. But it's, it's the way it is. God brings us to the point in our disappointments when we are willing to just let it go and trust him for it. And that's, that's always good. So in this first section, let's just review the authority of the word. It's so important here. Number one, in our lives, it's important that we have a desire. If you don't really have a desire to read your Bible and to read the word, just ask the Lord to give you an appetite for it. I'm not, you know, I don't understand it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, just give it a try. Try again. Lord, open your word to me. When I started reading the Bible for the first time, I didn't understand anything. I mean, really. It just, and then I, I asked, just simply asked, Lord, just open my eyes. Help me understand this. And literally, I felt like the words began to, it became alive to me. It's like the words jumped off the page. And I begin, whoa, whoa. I begin to understand things. And this, is what, this is the experience that we're talking about. A love for the Word of God. And also, we see here uh, that it's important as we are in the Word that we remember the nature and character of God. This is one of the things I really appreciate about Luke. He, he has picked up on the nature and character of Christ throughout this uh, gospel. Uh, God is kind, God is gentle, He's very courteous, He's without compromise, He's no respecter of persons. He's an amazing individual, right? And he's the greatest teacher ever. And he'll teach you and I if we open, give ourselves to the word. He will teach us. He will instruct us. And Lord knows we need to be instructed. And, but beware. As we see here, the word of God, doing what Jesus asks us to do, giving ourselves to the word, will reveal who we are. To ourselves and before God. Now that's a hard, and this is part of, part of the problem because when we see how we are in our sinfulness, that's sometimes a, a tough pill to swallow. It's hard to admit self-righteousness. It's hard to admit as fallen, that, that we're as fallen as we are. But once you get beyond that initial, oh wow, <laughs> you know, um, you sort of get used to it. And you love to be corrected because you want to be all that God wants you to be. There's just a transformation. You're, we're forgiven. We're set free. And think about all the wrongs that we have committed. They're all removed. And, 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 and God has removed the penalty of the sin. It's just, he only, remember, he only convicts us to deliver us from the things that he knows are destructive in our lives. He's not trying to keep us from joy or happiness. He's trying to keep us from pain and sorrow and destruction. And so that's what conviction is about. So we shouldn't fear that conviction. Romans 8 1 is a good verse to memorize if you suffer from condemnation. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but walk in the Spirit. There's no reason. Here's the difference between conviction and con con condemnation. It's an important thing to discern. If you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that is you'll be drawn to the cross. Lord, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. You see, it's drawing me to the cross and a confession and an attitude of repentance and change. Condemnation is the opposite it takes me away from God and away from the cross and to be swallowed up in guilt to where I don't want to associate with Christians. I don't want to associate. I want nothing more to do with God. 
That's what condemnation will do. It will drive you from the presence of God, whereas conviction will draw you into the presence of God. So we have to learn to receive that. Now, verses 12 through 16, we have uh, the authority of Christ to cleanse lepers and to cleanse sinners. Let's pick it up here in verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then he put his hands, put out his hands and touched him saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him to go and Tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. One of the things I like about Luke is the, his use of this word certain. And um, he uses it quite a bit in his writings. And, you know, certainty, you know, the idea of uh, there's a firm conviction about something. You just know that you know. Uh, or that a person can be relied upon. You know, I, I, I can trust that. It's, I'm certain of this person type of thing. And so, he, again, he's picked up on the nature and character of God by using this. And I think it's important for you and I to understand that our lives are not some happenstance to God. The, he went to this, he was in this certain city uh, because he was led by the Holy Spirit to be in that city at this time. It was a certainty. It wasn't, oh, well, let's just give this a shot, you know. No. Proverbs 37, 23 says, the steps of a good man, and the good word good there is italicized, so the steps of man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Proverbs 20, 24, a man's steps are of the Lord. How can a man understand his own way? So Jesus was in this certain city because in this city there were people who had certain needs, if you will. And God was aware of their pain. God is aware of their... Can you imagine the pain of this leper? God is in the business of alleviating pain and sorrow. He understands the fallen condition that we've been subjected to. Now, we don't like it, but somehow in God's wisdom and his understanding, he allowed the fall to take place in the garden. He allowed that to happen. Now, I don't have the answers to why he would allow that, but he's a lot wiser and more understanding than we'll ever be. So you know what? We're just going to roll with the plan. And the plan that he had was to teach us how to image him. Initially, it was going to be in an unfallen, perfect paradise condition to do so, just like the angels in heaven have that perfect condition in which they can image God in that realm. And he was giving the same privilege for us to image him in our domain, the earth. Well, the plan hasn't changed, as I've said before. It just has become a lot more difficult because we're under the curse. The earth is cursed. Nature's cursed. Our bodies are cursed. It's, it's just difficult, but it's not impossible. And Jesus was our example in regards to that. And so just need to understand and you need to rest assured that God is interested in reaching out to you and to me and bringing deliverance and comfort from our sorrows and our pain. But just think about this leper for just a moment. You know, he had to isolate. I don't know about you. I like people. I mean, I'm not like anybody else. After a while, I need my, my quiet time. We all need that. But I like people or I wouldn't be in the ministry, right? Imagine, you know, losing that ability to fellowship with people, to leave your loved ones for their benefit and for their safety and, and, and isolate yourself because of your, this, this dreaded disease that was upon them. The loneliness that these people must have uh, felt. 
The thing we see is that Jesus being in that certain city at this time was available to this man. I think that's something to pay attention to. Sometimes we think ministry is a hard thing. I like what the dean of students, uh, he told us this more than once. Uh, 90% of ministry is just showing up. The other 10% is being prepared, I guess. But think about that. How can you impart your gift or your blessing to another unless you're there? You know, that's why I encourage fellowship. How are you going to be encouraged and how are you going to encourage anybody else if you don't come? If it's not going to Well, you, you know, how about a call? How about I'll just text you a blessing? Tell me how that works out, by the way. But notice here how the leper's need was met. First, is it tells us that he saw Jesus there in verse 12. If you're going to have your needs met by God, then you're going to have to see him for who he is. He's not this cosmic vending machine. If we just pull the lever just right, we get out of them, out of him what we want. No. He's a real person with thoughts and compassion and cares just much like we have, only on a higher level. But he... As a believer, we must see Jesus for who he is. We must look to him and understand that he is approachable. And as he said here, I am willing. Do you see God as approachable? Do you see God as willing? Well, I don't know. I've been a, I haven't been a very good boy. And so therefore, God can't help me because I have sinned. Well, let me ask you, do you think this leper continued to sin in his life? Do you think he had bad thoughts and things that were not quite right in his life besides the disease he was carrying? You see, that is not a position of faith. We have to understand the, the heart and character of God. It, he is pleased. He is blessed when you and I exercise faith. He saw Jesus for who he was. He approached Christ. And Jesus was moved with compassion. And Jesus did the unthinkable. It was not right for a priest. It was not right for anyone who had, did not have the disease to touch a diseased person. He reached out with his hands and he touched the unclean. Do you see that that's the kind of God? He touches you and I. Leprosy is a type of sin, biblically speaking. It's an idiom for sin. He touches you and I who are laden with sin because of our sin natures. I'm not saying that we're all living after him. I'm just saying that's we're fallen. And, and, and we're going to see here, unless we really acknowledge that, we aren't going to receive anything from God. I'll pick up on that in a minute. But what else did he do? He fell at Jesus' feet. The idea of humility. It takes one thing to admit who we are. It takes another thing to humble ourselves before God. Spirit of humility. I have nothing to offer God. I have nothing. There's, there's nothing I could ever give God. He is in need of nothing. I have nothing to offer him. I come empty-handed and broken before him, much as this man did. He, second, so it's humility. Third, he begged Jesus for his cleansing. That's praying. That's asking. You know, well, God, can, God knows my mind. He knows my heart. Yeah, he sure does. Mine too. Everything that we receive, God must be asked for. That's the way it works. Well, you learned that from your mom and dad, didn't you? Junior, if you want something, you need to ask for it. Mommy, can I have a cookie? Yes, but not now after dinner. <laughs> But you have to ask. If you, didn't, if, you, if you go to that cookie jar without permission, you're probably going to get a whack and you won't get the cookie anyway. Right? There's a protocol here. And one of the protocols with God is that we ask things of Him for the things we desire. And He's not offended by that. Were you offended by your children when they ask for things? Of course not. In fact, as a parent, you, you want to give them as much as you can or as much as is good for them anyway, Right? So he, he asked Jesus for his cleansing and he became a testimony 
to the ministry of Christ. You, when we live this way and we approach God in this manner, the result is that you and I will be testimonies to one another. Wow, man, God is really working in your life. When I hear the Lord answering prayers and people have been praying for something for a long time and I see God do that, it just, yeah, it just blesses my heart. You know, I can't go crazy here, but I'll go crazy when I'm by myself. Yes! <laughs> Boy, don't go bad. You know. You want the key to Jesus' success in his ministry? Look at the last verse there in verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. If the Son of God, God and the God-man, felt it necessary to get away often by himself, is the idea there in the wilderness. What else is out there, by the way? And pray how much more we as fallen people need to get alone and pray. Again, the idea of being, uh, having piety in our lives. The last section here, 17 through 36, we look at the authority of Jesus to forgive and to heal. And this is, again, this is authority. Keep it, this, the backdrop of this in our minds should be we now, as the church, corporately, have been given the same authority to carry out the mission and purpose of Christ. We have the authority to heal, to cast out demons, to preach and teach the gospel. That authority has been delegated to the church. He, he's modeled it for us. And now it's up to us to engage ourselves in this ministry. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. Now there are people in the church that don't believe that. But that's why you can see the bent that I have and why I preach the way. I believe that every one of us have a ministry of sorts. Maybe different. They're all different from one another. But nonetheless, we have, each have a ministry. Let's pick it up here in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought on a bed who uh, was paralyzed, from whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, behold, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down in the, his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what had been laying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. No doubt. Again, we have, we had a certain city and now we have a certain day. And see, this is, again, Jesus is Lord of time and space. And I am of the opinion that there are certain things that are ordained for our lives on certain, in certain places and at certain times. And if, as we walk in the Spirit, those things will take place. That's why it's important for us to be obedient. It's important for us to, 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 do the, to walk the walk. Doesn't mean that we're, perf- we're, we're going to be perfect in our walk, but the intent and in our movement is in this direction continually. That's the idea that I want to stress here. The, the person and work of the Holy Spirit is marvelous the way he works in our lives and in our gatherings. You know, the thing about the Lord, you just never know what he's going to pull off. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, 
And that's what makes it so exciting, you know. Um, I believe uh, our responsibilities, whether we come on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whenever we gather and wherever we gather, that we have we come with an expectation. These people that were jammed up on the shore, they came with expectation to be fed the word of God. This leper came with an expectation that Jesus could heal him. That he had the authority and the power to do so. And now God is presenting himself through the Messiah to these leadership, to the very establishment who needed healing on this certain day. And I actually believe if they would have opened their hearts and confessed their self-righteousness, they would have been healed. See, just because they didn't have some physical malady or weren't afflicted doesn't mean that they didn't need, that they didn't need healing. They were loaded with guilt and self-righteousness. They were not in a right relationship with God. Anyone who's not in a right relationship with God needs to be healed. There was a day when the Spirit of the Lord was present to heal. And from time to time, we're going to have in our church here, we've had these over the years. We had one, a powerful move last week. We never know what's going to happen at the gatherings. We just want to be open and led by the Spirit because people have needs and, and only God can meet those needs. They're not met by the pastor and the elders or the deacons. They're met by the power of the Holy Spirit working through His Word. It's just that simple. We don't have any agenda. When we gather, I don't have any agenda. I try to hear what God wants. I try to get where I think God's leading and that's, that's as far as I can understand at this point. Let's keep it simple. When we come with an expectant, an expectant heart, God does what he wants to do, and he, we're filled with joy. We're filled with his love, and it's just a wonderful exchange. This day was set apart by God himself. This is the moment. That's the agenda that, we're see, that we seek. We want to understand what he wants to do on every day, every specific day that we gather. There are no formulas. It's only coming before God by faith. Lord, I know I'm not worthy of least of your tender mercies, but I love you. I know you've forgiven me. I don't want everything you have for me. Here I am. That's what we're talking about. To illustrate how important it is that we don't miss this. Think about the children of Israel. God brought them out of the world, Egypt. They were baptized in Moses through the Red Sea. They entered into the wilderness at the base of Mount Sinai. They were there for several months, three months in receiving the law, at least that long for the law, and then building the tabernacle. Now they know how to approach Yahweh. They know what he requires. And now he's ready to take them to the promised land. So Moses, send in the spies. Get a feel for uh, what it's like there. and Bring the report back and let the people know how glorious the land is. And what I've prepared for my people. This awesome gift. Well, you know what happened. They got a good report. But they, didn't, they also got an evil report and they took the evil report to heart rather than the good report. They blew off Joshua and Caleb, didn't they? What was the result of that? Missing that time, that hour, that moment. They failed to enter in. See, this is what happens. We suffer for it when we don't come expectant, when we don't come ready we, we continue in our pain and our sorrow a lot longer than we would normally have to if we would just come and give it to God. He expects us to come and follow the protocol, so to speak. Come in faith. Because that's the character and nature that he has. He's loving and kind and gracious and good. And I just want to bless him. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what God has. You know, the Pharisees missed it. Who is this? Hardened hearts. Skeptical, critical spirits. And Jesus saw right through it. 
I just love it, though. You know, by the way, you know, which is harder to do? You sin, forgive sins or heal a guy? Well, if you're God, it doesn't really matter, right? It's all easy to him. And he's the only one that can do those things, right? And rather than jumping for joy and being happy for this guy, they grumbled and complained. They were upset with Jesus. It just blows my mind. That's the hardness of heart. So the requirement again is faith. And in this situation, and I'll take a couple minutes here to go through this because I think it's, it's, it, there's good steps here. Sometimes there's difficulty in getting ourselves to Jesus. I mean, and, you know, think about this again. Use your, your sanctified imagination. These people are packed in the house, wherever they're gathering, maybe possibly the synagogue, I don't know. I doubt it, it's someone's house. And the people are jammed in there. They're, everybody's jockeying for position, you know. You know, I want to see Jesus, you know, that whole, that's just what we do, right? Get your head out of the way, I can't see, you know. <laughs> and these guys, you know, come carting their friend, however they were carrying him. And they're trying to get through. Pardon me, pardon me. Really? Are you serious? You're not getting in there. You know, no cooperation whatsoever, right? But these guys weren't going to let the difficulty that they were facing in coming to Jesus to get in their way. How many people use the most lame excuses on why they can't do this or that because of Whatever. I love the determination of these guys. The persistence, the perseverance will always be rewarded. Don't ever give up in coming to the Lord. Just keep bringing it. Keep coming. Keep trying. Now, we're not really told in the story here how this guy was injured. He's paralyzed. And, um, you know, being a builder, I'm thinking, I wonder if these were... I wonder if they were like builders or carpenters, you know, or something like that. And they're climbing around and the guy falls and, you know, he's, he's, he's messed up. You know, these are his true friends, by the way. You know, they're, they're carrying him to Jesus. They're helping him. He's, he's paralyzed. He, there's no way he's going to get to Jesus on his own. And that's really a mark of true friends, isn't it? That you are willing to help carry them in their burdens, in their pain to get them to Jesus. This is what we do as we pray for people. And we care for people in the church. And we care for one another. We bear one another's burdens. We carry the, help carry the load. So, because they knew one thing. Only God could help this guy. There's no, there's no physician. But this, there's a power and a presence with Jesus. Let's go. They were willing to carry him. And I think that's... that's and I, I also think they were unwilling to take no for an answer. How many of us settle for no? Oh, well, you know. Let it go. Just this, this the way it is, you know. No. No. We love this guy. Jesus can do this. Let's figure it out. Yeah, I think that's important. They were willing to do the unthinkable. Hey, you know, I got to thinking. Now, this is why I think they were construction workers. Mm -hmm. Hey, they knew the anatomy of that roof. <laughs> so, Harry, get, get your hand out there and let me get up on the roof, you know. And they tore a hole in the roof. They knew how to disassemble it. <laughs> this is this great shot. I just love it. Kind of guys I'm hanging around with. Hey, we can do this. You know, this is an insurance nightmare. <laughs> Who's going to pay for the damages here? And what about OSHA? I mean, they would have had a heyday with this one, right? I mean, this, none of that deterred these guys. That's, a, that's, a, that's true friends. They're willing to do the unthinkable. They're willing to go the extra mile. They don't really care what anybody else thinks. This is what's most important. We're going to do this. I love it. This is, you know, risking all for the sake of your friends. There's some people that just want to hang around when things are really going well, right? 
then when you're down in the dumps and you know the bottom has fallen out in your life, you know you you really find out real quick who your friends are, don't you? And it's really sad. There's some people that will stick with you through the thick and the thin, and they are your true friends. And I would hope and pray that we'll be that to each other in our church. We'll be true friends, true brothers and sisters, uh, no matter what we're going through. We have to be careful in some ways that we don't lay expectations on friends. We just trust God to move in our friends' hearts when we true desperately are in desperate need of help. It's good to make the need known, uh, but leave, it, leave the results with God. Um, some people get their feelings hurt when they have, lay expectations on other people in the churches. You know, I've seen it over the years. I haven't experienced it here. I'm just saying, I've just, my own personal experience. So be careful with expectations. All your expectations and your hopes and your desires should be to God in prayer, and the results will leave, we should leave to Him. So, again, uh, the result of the authority of God's Word, when His Word is kept centermost, Jesus is centermost and upmost in our midst, the results are going to be outstanding. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And that's what the ministry is all about, lifting Christ up. Notice how the, he ends here. When the, the result of these works were the people were glorifying God. They're not glorifying the leadership. They're definitely not glorifying the Pharisees who wanted the glory. They're not glorifying those guys that let him down. They're glorifying God. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Christ. We have seen strange things today. <laughs> well, brothers and sisters, as things get crazier and crazier in the world, we may be seeing some strange things. And what I mean by that is the awesome work of God. If we come expectant and willing to persevere and seek God for our needs, for his name to be exalted and glorified, we may see some marvelous things take place. When sin abounds... What else abounds? Grace much more. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word.